the Brave Church podcast. We're so glad you decided to join us. Wherever you're listening from, we hope that you're encouraged by today's message. If you've never been to a uh, fourth service with me preaching, anything could happen. There's not a lot of oxygen in my brain at the moment. And uh, we're going to have a little bit of fun here tonight. But I am going to preach the third message for the day, as in it's the fourth, but it's the third different message. And uh, so you're going to have to preach with me just so that I can make sure my thoughts come together. And if you've got a Bible, you can turn. Sorry for the guys that are doing screens and stuff. You've got no chance up there. Um, but 2 Kings chapter 4 and verse 8. Uh, if you, you can head there and I'll get there in just a moment. You know, for a number of years, I actually would... Uh, well, it's going to be awkward here to, to, today. That Argentinian steak is wanting to come forward right now. Uh, why we had so much food at lunchtime, I will never know. But anyway, seemed good at the time. Uh, but we, we, my kids were about the age of four and seven. And, um, and we made a decision because I kept hearing something. I kept hearing this statement. Oh, your kids grow up too fast. Your kids uh, are gone before you know it. And... Uh, I thought to myself, I kept hearing it from different people, different sources. And when you hear something often enough, you should pay attention. If you hear it from different sources, different people, you should pay attention and process it. And so I said to my wife when my kids were so small, I said, honey, I reckon every two years we should have a huge family holiday and we should put money aside rather than investing in buying an investment property or some other type of investment, we should actually put our money aside, save up and take the kids on a great holiday every two years. And so here I am, fast forward, now my son's 18, my daughter's 21, and every two years we've pretty much been on a massive world trip. I've been here on cruises about 484 times. Um, uh, no, seriously, I have. I've been here many, many times. I was telling he didn't, Pastor David didn't know, but I, I've had so many cruises both off here in Miami and Fort Lauderdale and been out into that area. And, and it costs money. But what you invest in is what you get. And my kids now, my son, you know, I was talking to some of the crowd earlier and we were in Papua New Guinea last year and there was over 100,000 people in one night crowd. I preached to that crowd and that night... Um, you know, over, a, uh, over two nights, sorry, 250,000, over one night, sorry, over the two nights, salvation's getting saved. Over 100,000 people made decisions. But on that particular night, there was 120,000 people. And that was the biggest stage that I've ever preached on. And the most souls, 60,000 getting saved in one night. Uh, that I've seen, if you aggregate all of the, the decisions that have been made in meetings I've preached at all around the world for 25 years, it doesn't come to the total amount that happened in one night. But in that one night, my son came with us because we flew him up for two days. We were there for 10 days, but we flew him up because we wanted him to be a part of what was happening. And my son DJs at Planet Shakers. In fact, for those that are into uh, Planet Boom music um, and all the videos, there's three now video clips that have been made. My son is the editor of all those videos. And so he's, he's locked into the life of the church and loves what happens. And, and, uh, and, and so my son comes that night and we're standing at the, um, the front of the stadium at about three o'clock in the afternoon. He gets a phone call from Josh Ham, you know, the red-headed one, the bearded one, the bass guitarist that's become a cult a legend all over the world. And uh, for Planet Shakers, he rings and he says, man, I can't make it 
early because we've got a technical problem. Could you go and could you DJ tonight? Now, he DJs at Boom on Friday nights, and that's a good crowd. There's about a 1,000-plus teenagers every Friday. But, but in this case, he was, he was you know, uh, in front of a crowd of over 100,000 people. And he was nervous and he spoke to me and he said, what do I do? I said, I don't know. Just do what you've done at Boom every other night. And so he gets on stage. <coughs> and you'd think that my pride would be in the fact that I saw more people get saved than I've ever seen, preach the largest crowd I've ever seen in my whole lifetime. My son's first stage, external to our local church, is standing on a crowd of 120,000 people and leading them and getting them to jump. And there's one stage where he gets them to jump. And me and my wife have stood at the back of stage weeping, just thinking, wow, you are a faithful God. But you see, those holidays weren't just about investing money. It wasn't just about, oh, let's do it big time. It was about spending time together, continuing to develop into my kids' life, having them in the house of God regularly. And what you invest in is what you end up with. But yet many of us, you know, dabble over here and I'll try this and I'll try that and I'll go to this church for three months and then I'll head to this church and I don't like that pastor and I don't like this youth ministry and the kids' program is this. And, and because you're all over the place, you invest in and you get what you invested in. You get a life that's all over the place. You get things that don't seemingly work. And I want to talk to you tonight about what is it that you're investing in. Or another way of saying it is what are you creating room for in your life? What are you creating room for? I want you to look at this passage of scripture in 2 Kings verse verse 4 and 8. One day Elijah went to Shumnah, which means a place of rest. And a well-to-do woman. Why does it say this? It says... Why does the Bible point her out as a rich woman was there who urged him to stay for a meal? So whenever he came by, he stopped there to eat. She said to her husband, I know that this man who often comes our way is a holy man of God. Let's make a room for him on the roof and put it a bed and a table, a chair and a room for him, uh, sorry, and a lamp for him. Then he can stay there whenever he comes to us. Get this. She made a room for him that was exclusively his in her house. There was something about him that she said, I want it to flow into our house. One day when Elijah came, he went up the room and lay down there. He said to his servant, Gehazi, call the Shemanite woman. So he called her and she stood before him. Elijah said to him, Tell her you gave, you have gone to all this trouble for us. Now what can be done for you? Can we speak on your behalf to the king or the commander of the army? She replied, I have a home among my own people. In other words, she's saying, I am a wealthy lady. I already have access to those sort of people. Well, what can be done for her? Elijah asked. Gehazi said, she has no son and her husband is old. Then Elijah said, call her. So he called her and she stood in the doorway. About this time next year, Elijah said, you will hold a son in your arms. She shrieks and yells, no, my Lord, she objected. Please, man of God, don't mislead. Notice she's not saying, I don't want that child. I'm pregnant. She's saying, don't mislead me, your servant. But the woman became pregnant and the next year, about the same time, she gave birth to a son, just as Elijah had told her to. I want to make some observations. I want you to look at this because what you create room for is what you ultimately gain. 
What you are creating room for today, what you are putting your energy in, what you're putting your finance in, what you're putting your time into is what ultimately you're going to end up with. And where you sacrifice is a good place to look. The woman here built a roof on her house. Her house was her home. It was a representation of her wealth. I'm sure it wasn't just a small little house. We're led to believe it was in the town centre, so it would be like one of the penthouse apartments. And she decided that she would put a room on the top of her house. Now, you've got to understand, again, as I've said all day, the Bible doesn't actually use uh, you know, symbolism and pictures for the sake of it. There's a story within a story going on here, and she's actually making a room on top of her house. So we need to recognise that that represents um, something that would have actually disturbed the whole flow of her house. Every time the prophet walks in, he's walking into every aspect of her house. He's leaving his thread everywhere he goes. Surely she could have just put a, an add-on at the back so he could have walked in and walked out and they wouldn't have even known he was there. But you see, she's investing her money, her resource, and she's carefully thinking about what do I want for what I'm investing. It, the, the key issue here is she sacrificed something. See, we, we can all you know, talk and we can all say this is what I want. But until you're prepared to put something on the line for what you want, until you're prepared to upset the flow of your regular life, building an addition on the top of the house meant that while that was being built, it would have messed up everything in her house. It, it, it meant that there would have been a hole in the ceiling of one of her rooms and how was that going to work? The access via stairs or whatever else was going to be a problem. So the sacrifice was an add-on, not a takeaway. We need to recognise that so often we actually think, oh, I've got to give something, and that means as I give it, that you know I lose something. No, in the kingdom, when you invest in the right place, when you sacrifice in the right place, it's an add-on. It's a sowing and a reaping. You see, so we have a secular mentality. Well, if I give something away, then I don't have something. No, no, not in the kingdom. God replenishes it. It's an ex of for our lives. But he, on top, she put this room. Now, the top speaks of covering. So she actually decided that she would put the room on top. Now, Pastor David and Christina made a decision that they would actually be connected to Planet Shakers or come under the covering of Planet Shakers. We presented to them what it could look like. They went away, prayed, made a decision. Since they made that decision, God has actually brought some things into your house. And as I walk in today, I go, wow, there's some similarities of spirit. There's some non tangibles that I see here. I preach at 50, 60 churches a year, but I walk in here and there's something that has shifted. But it's not only in for yourself in the spirit, the numbers have increased, the salvations have increased. You're starting a campus. Why? Because in no small part, you chose to put us on top and now the covering is actually affecting everything that you're doing. You see, it's important that you understand What's happened here? The other observation I'd say of sowing and reaping, that she made space and the prophet actively looked for how he could give back to her. We don't serve a God who takes. We serve a God who gave his one and only son, Jesus. If he was prepared to sacrifice his son, how much more will he be prepared to sacrifice to those who are prepared to sacrifice to him? Oh, I tell you, you want to see some things happen in your life, then you've got to create the right room 
for the right presence to enter into your house, into your space. So the question is, the, or what that was asked of her was, what can I do for you? The prophet obviously doesn't have a word from God that he should give her a son. He's asking his servant and the servant says, well, uh, you know, maybe you can do this and maybe you can do that. It's almost like that type of conversation. And then he says, well, she's got an old husband. I mean, the, the, the Bible's sometimes pretty harsh, isn't it? Like, you know, Zacchaeus, he's a short man. Can you imagine being recognised in the Bible as, oh, that's that old man that was recognised in the Bible or that's that short guy in the Bible? You know, I'd like to be recognised, you know, if there's another edition after I'm gone of Neil Smith, the cool, handsome, you know, perfectly chiselled body guy. But again, the Bible's trying to delineate a point here. The, the servant says he's an old man. He is unable to produce children. He's beyond that age. She doesn't have a child. She's got everything in material possession. Life into this world. Make happen. And what she can't do is she can't bring life into this world. But she understands the prophet because the prophet is the representation of God on the earth in the Old Testament. We've now got Jesus and we can go directly to him. But in those times, they understood that the prophet was God incarnate on earth. He was God's representative and they would go through the prophet. So she's bringing him in and she understands that the prophet has power. But did you notice how she doubts that power? She didn't receive a, 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 <coughs> she didn't receive a royal reward. She receives a prophet's reward. So she's actually thinking, well, what I can do with my money is I can pay for this and I can pay for that. When he says to her, oh, you're going to have a son in 12 months' time, she goes, no! Because her experience, her measure of control, her ability is limited to what she can pay for. But the prophet's trying to say to her, you don't have to talk to me like that. I am a representative of God. And if I say you're going to have a child, doesn't matter whether you have an old husband, doesn't matter. So can you see the importance of what you create room for can supersede your natural example? Right now, you might have some circumstance around your life and you're saying, I don't know how I'm going to get through that. I tell you, when I have financial challenges, I'm not saying this because I'm going to get any personal gain, but I sow greater into the house of God. Do you know this year that I'm giving 52% of my total income into the house of God? There was a challenge earlier in the year to give and, and I thought to myself, I'm learning all this and I'm understanding that count out, give God. By the time I get to retirement age, my goal is that I'll live off 10% and I'll give 90%. Why? Because we live <coughs> in every area of our lives as a brave member. We actually dare to believe, God, there's so much more for us. But in the area of offering, well, do I give on my gross or do I give on my tax, you know, my taxed income or do I give on my... And it's like we're trying to split the hairs of how much is our tithing 10%. But I don't live in a 10% mode. That's the guide. I live in above and beyond. And if God owns the cattle on a thousand hills, if God is my Jehovah Jireh, I want to live off his 10% because that's more than my 90% that I can actually earn in my own right. So I started with 52%. But I want to tell you this year, by all sorts of miraculous means, since I put that into place, I want to tell you my income has increased 25% in the first quarter of our year this year. And I'm like, God, how did that happen? How did that take? Oh, how it happened is where you invest, what you create room for. 
the second thing that I observe is obedience is required. Obedience here equals receive and embrace. The lady found it hard to receive and embrace because her husband was old. There was already shame in those times. If you didn't have a child, there was major shame on your marriage. In fact, some husbands, if they couldn't have a child by a certain age, would actually get rid of their wife and it was quite acceptable in culture. But here she is and she, you know, husband's older in years so he's kept her. So she would already be living with the shame. Her marriage had no children. Her power and her wealth gave her everything. But the one thing she couldn't have was lost and long forgotten and disappointed and tried to cover it up. Became her stumbling block. And we've got to be so careful that the things that we can't control but we want to control, we actually put them in the too hard basket so that ultimately we don't see a breakthrough for our future. What's at stake here? When the prophet brings up, I'm going to give you a son in a year's time, what's at stake? Future generations. What's at stake? Her future, her family's future, the inheritance, where she's going to give off of all that wealth that she has. But she can't see it because she's so consumed with what she hasn't had that she misses that God's speaking to her and wanting to give her something. Fear, past disappointment can hold us back and pigeonhole us so that we're not actually creating room for the very thing we need from God. There is only so far we can go in the natural. We need a supernatural breakthrough. Tonight, we're going to believe at the end of this service that as we pray for people, there's going to be a breakthrough happen. Some of you have walked into this room with disappointment. Some of you have walked into this room with broken dreams. But tonight, I'm going to pray and believe that there's going to be a breakthrough. But I'm also going to urge you and encourage you to create room for the presence of God. Because if you create room for the presence of God, even in this environment, but then you take it out into your family, take it out into your car, take it out into your everyday life, suddenly that's going to flow through to every room in your house, every part of your dwelling, every person that resides where you reside. She learnt the prophet had power that she didn't. She learnt that he had power and so she pursued the prophet. It's not long later that we read the story and for time's sake tonight, I won't read it, but you read on and what do you read? You read that the child died. The child was out in the field and they were working and... and, uh, and, and, and anyway, the child dies and they take her. She grabs the child and she brings the child inside. It's interesting where she lays the child. She runs into the house. The most easiest access place would have been, you know, in the lounge room on the bottom floor as she walks in the door. But she runs past that. She runs past, it's likely that she had a, a two-storey house. So she runs past her bedroom level where her bedroom, her son's bedroom was. And the Bible says that she ran right up to the room of the prophet. He wasn't there and she lays her son on his bed. Isn't it interesting when we have a major problem? Isn't it interesting still to this day when somebody dies or somebody has an injury or somebody has to go to hospital suddenly, people who don't even believe in the church, don't even believe in God, turn to the church. It's amazing how we had one of our star sportsmen got hit in the head recently and the next day on every major newspaper in our nation it said, pray. For Shane, who was this, this cricket player, pray for Shane. Uh, that, that, you know, and, and then you read the stories. It's like churches are getting together. People are going to places to believe that Shane can come back to life. Ha! 
Same papers won't write anything about God and prayer that's positive. Because why? Because they, 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 they don't believe it in their natural circumstances. Oh, but when they're pressed, when they're in a dire circumstance, what do they do? They turn to God. Today, what I'm appealing you to say is don't be at the end of your circumstance and turn to God. You can come to church every week and think you're a great Christian. But I want to tell you, you need to wrap the presence of God in every room of your life. You need to place him in his rightful place and create room for the God who loves you so much. He gets the child. She gets out onto the street and the Bible says she goes looking through the city to find the prophet. Gehazi, the helper of the prophet, is there. And in the distance, the prophet sees the lady coming. That's interesting, isn't it? That here he is just going about his business. But in the distance, he notices her. Why does he notice her? Because she created room for him. If she'd never created room, she, he wouldn't, she wouldn't have meant anything. She's just another person in the crowd. But suddenly from a distance, he can see her. And he says to his, his servant, I can see there's distress. What does she need? And she comes up and she tells him and she's coming to him almost like, you know, um, spoken the words over herself. Her son is dead. I told you not to build up my hopes and told you not to build up my dreams. But we've got to remember she created room for God. She created room for the prophet, for the presence of God. And so God's not going to let her down at a critical moment. You know, when she's in this place and so she comes and he comes into the room, the helper and then the prophet, what's happened? And he says, I'll come. And he comes and he comes into the room and he, he prays, he lays upon the body of this child and, and then he brings the child out back down the stairs and the lady falls before him, ever so thankful that her, her child has, has come back. But it's really a statement of why did you doubt God? Why did you doubt God? He basically communicates he was never dead. He was just asleep. We know the story in the New Testament where Jesus says, don't worry, he's just asleep. He's not dead. It's a statement of God actually being in control of your circumstance. Right now, some of you feel like something is dead. But I'm saying to you today, it's not dead. It's dormant, but it can come alive. There's a circumstance in a relationship. There's a physical ailment that you're saying, it's gone. What am I going to do? You're mourning what has happened. But don't mourn. Turn your mourning into dancing, rejoicing, understanding that God is going to come through in your situation. But remember, make room for his presence. Make room for who he is. For the prophet Elijah represents the presence of God. His presence is what we all should be creating room for. Do you come to church and you love, you know, you get here and they're singing all the fast songs and maybe, and I don't want to point people out in the wrong sense, but maybe you sit towards the back and I'm not saying that because of you today, but you sit there because it's a bit loud for you or, or, you know, some of the young people get crazy down the front, there's stuff going on and it's like, yeah, you know, I'm happy to be a spectator but I'm not going to push in. Then the worship comes and you keep looking at your clock and, oh, they've done two today, that means we're about to finish. What? They're doing a third song? Oh, gee, I thought we'd get on with that. And, uh, and, and you've missed the point. We don't come to church to actually be participators. Well, I mean, we're to be spectators. We come to be participators. We come into the house of God because, oh, we want your presence. It's not about a song. It's not about a slow song. It's, oh, we want your presence. Your presence. Oh, we want your presence. Because in your presence, there's fullness of joy. In your presence, there's perfect peace. 
What are you creating room for? What are you creating room for? She knew in a critical moment where to place what was dead. On the bed of the presence of God. On the bed of her son. The place of sacrifice became the place of redemption. Where she actually we think we can sow is where she received her return. Why is it that we think we can sow seeds of apples and we're expecting to get oranges? If we're going to sow into his presence, we're going to receive from his presence. If we've got families and we're going to sow into the church building program, we're going to receive a blessing where our families are going to serve God. It's not about a fundraising program. It's about where we invest is where we receive from. And I want to urge you today that there's only one supernatural being that we can invest in, where we can actually put a sacrifice before him and he will redeem our future, protect our future. It's like an insurance policy. You're paying money, you're paying money. You think, why am I paying money? But then one day when something happens to your house, you're like, thank God I paid all that money. Sometimes it feels like that. What are we getting? But I want to tell you, if you look back over your life and you look back over the same set of people that you went to school with or the same set of people that you're now doing college with or work, and you look at what God's done in your life, He's a redeemer. He gives you far much more than you could do in yourself. I've tithed since I was the age of six. And I want to tell you, my so much money is not from God, who, who's a chartered accountant, who's been a partner in a firm, earned so much money, is nowhere financially to the same degree I am. And it's not because I'm brilliant, it's because I have a redeemer. Yeah. You know, I look at so many other people with relationship issues and other things and where they've sown, I now look and what they're reaping. But I am not great in myself. We all need a redeemer. But therefore, we need to create space for him. And the space we need to create is your presence. I want to spend time in your presence. God, would you come through in my circumstance? But I don't even have to ask because I know where to go when it's good or it's not so good. Future blessing and provision is found in where we invest. 2 Kings in chapter 8. Seven years of famine when she returned from her house. Basically, there was a drought came to the land and the prophet actually told her that she should leave. And she said, no, I've got to stay and protect what I've got. Remember, she lived her whole life with wealth and power. But the prophet had come into her life, not because he came into her life, but because she created room for him, his presence. So then he advised her, he he healed her boy. He then said to her, you need to leave because it's going to get bad for seven years, but then come back. But if you understood anything about those times, if you left a property for more than 12 months, it meant that it actually became the property of the king. No longer was it yours. So she'd worked her whole life. She'd got all this stuff. Now she listens to the prophet. She leaves and she comes back and we pick it up here in, in, in 2 Kings chapter 8. Two years of famine, uh, seven years of famine when she returns to her house, the place of her wealth, of her produce. She went to the king and as she arrived, Gehazi had been telling a story of how Elijah had restored a boy's life. I mean, this isn't coincidence. This is the timing of God. She arrives at the king's quarters. 
The king has Gehazi, remember the servant of Elijah, is standing talking to the king at that very moment about how there was a woman who invested her time by building a house for the prophet and then the prophet said that she would have a child and then the child died, then the child was restored. He's telling the whole story and she arrives at that moment. She was going to petition the king. Remember, she used to be a wealthy woman so she would have known the king and she arrives at that time. Verse 6, he assigned an official to her case. She tells her how I've got back. He assigns an official to her case and said to him, give back everything that belonged to her. But listen to this. She didn't just get what she... Because in her own self, in her own connections, in her own context, she would have been able to do that. But I want to tell you, God is a redeemer. He's a restorer. He's somebody who's going to bring back to you, including all the income from her land, from the day she left the country until now. She didn't have to work her land. She didn't have to look after it. She had a seven-year holiday. And she comes back. And where did it all begin? Not at the story when Gehazi is telling the king about what happened. It all began not because Elijah was walking past her village. It all happened because she made a decision. I'm going to invest in the presence of God. She saw future generations established. She had a child she couldn't have in her own right. She saw finance and increase come into her life. Many of us want the byproduct, the finance and income, the children. We want everything to be in place. But we're not prepared to initially make the sacrifice. And I want to tell you that we come into the house of God and we bring a sacrifice of praise into the house of God. We bring the sacrifice of offering into the house of God. But we don't do it because it's a religious practice. We do it because we understand that if we invest in the presence of God, He takes care of the rest. Tonight I want to stir you again because some of you have got off track. Some of you have chosen to live a certain path. Some of you find yourself here today and you're saying, I feel totally unprotected. But the great news is this is the Old Testament, the New Testament. Even if you're off track and you've been off track, if you just come back to Jesus... Not to a prophet who's a representative to God, but to Jesus, his son. God himself. You come to his son and you acknowledge your sins in a moment. Doesn't matter what it is, can be swept away and you can step into the place of favour and blessing. So tonight, we're not here at church. We're not here ticking the box of attendance for one week. We're here because we want to create a room for his presence. We're going to create a room for him to move in our lives. And rather than praying so hard, which we should, and there's a 7 o'clock prayer meeting on Wednesday morning, you need to be at that 7 o'clock prayer meeting. You know, since we started ours two years ago, we have seen so many provisions of God, thousands healed, thousands set free. But we've been praying, God, would you take us over the 200 mark in salvations every weekend? We started praying for one month and within one month we went from averaging about 180, could never we can't break the 200, to now we've actually broken it and we average 250 a weekend only about six months later. But not only that, in one weekend, five or six weeks ago, 497 people in a normal weekend gave their lives to Christ. Christ. But how did that happen? Because we started to petition God. 
So I believe in prayer and I think you need as a church to have a, a higher emphasis on prayer, collective prayer. And it's not boring and Pastor David won't make it boring. You'll come and there'll be praise and worship but then every five minutes or so you'll be praying about this and, you'll, and you can win this city. You can take this city. But I tell you, if my people will fall on their knees and pray, the city can be theirs. that said your presence I don't know if you guys know the song I love your presence you know that song I would like I would sing it but that could kill the whole atmosphere <laughs> I love your presence oh maestro think of another presence song I'm sure you know one I want you to stand to your feet He's here. What are you investing in? Oh, but I've got to get the kids to their local soccer competition. Got to make sure they do the extra study after school. Got to make sure I hang out with my friends after church tonight. That's really why I came. Well, I'm going to give what I can, but you've got to understand I've got a lot of bills mounting. She has a great story of redemption, but it didn't start at the end. It started at her understanding that there is no sacrifice you can bring to God that will outgive His capacity in your life. What was her first sacrifice? Building the room. For the sake of the metaphor, a room, a place that could house what she wanted. What did she want? She wanted the prophet. What does the prophet literally mean in the Old Testament? The presence of God. She sacrificed the best part of her house so that it would flow onto everything. And at the end of the life, we see that she got far much more than she bargained for because she created room for his presence. Ah. Whether it's right here, right now, or it's in your car. Church, let's never forego in your presence. <laughs> Come on, just lift your hands all around this room. Maybe you're here as a visitor. Why do we lift our hands? <laughs> One, because when you're a baby and you see your dad or mum coming, they're walking towards you. You throw your hands up in the air. Pick me up. Lift me out of this place. Give me the security that I need. That's one. Second reason is some people say because it's universal sign for surrender. I can't do this alone. But if I give over to you, I know you can. So right now we're going to lift our hands and we're going to sing this song. If you don't know it, just keep your eyes closed and allow His presence to wash over. If you do, sing with me. Come on. Thank you for tuning in to today's message from Brave Church. For more information or to get in touch with us, please visit BraveMiami.com.